On the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priests what the law says. If someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment, and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, olive oil or other food, does it become consecrated? The priests answered, no. And Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, So it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of twenty measures... There were only ten. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw fifty measures, there were only twenty. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, from this twenty-fourth day of the ninth month, Give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. Thanks very much, Val. If you keep that reading open, let's pray, shall we, for God's help to understand it together. Father in heaven, as we come to your word now, as we sit underneath its authority, Lord, I pray that you would guard us from any distractions, maybe from the busyness of things that have been happening this week, maybe the worry and concern of things that await in the coming week. Lord, please help us to give our attention now and our time to your word. We pray that your word would occupy its rightful place in our minds, Lord. And as we do, as we read about this, as we think about this, Lord, would you please be at work in both our head and our hearts as you make us more like your son, Jesus. And we pray it for your glory. Amen. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the story of King Midas. There's a picture of him here on the screen. Surrounded by all his gold, But in Greek mythology, King Midas once wished that everything that he touched would turn to gold. And one morning, that wish was granted, which of course initially delighted greedy King Midas as he went around touching everything through his house. He touched his bed and it turned to gold. He touched his dining table and it turned to gold. He went out into the garden, he touched the trees and the flowers and they turned to gold. Everything he touched turned to gold. But of course, the problem came, didn't it, when he sat down to eat, because he reached out to take his goblet of wine and have a drink, and that turned to gold. Then he reached out to take a grape from the bunch, and that turned to gold. You see, everything, without exception, turned to gold. It wasn't optional. 
He couldn't touch some things and they turned to gold and other things they remained the same. Everything, without exception, that he touched turned to gold. Well, in Haggai chapter 2, verse 9 to 10, it is a similar tale for the people in Haggai's day, but with a very significant difference. Everything they touched turned to mold, not gold. You see, Haggai's third sermon, which is before us this morning, exposes the sin and the corruption within the human heart, a corruption that is so deep-seated that it affects everything that we do and everything that we say. Yet despite that reality, despite the sin within our hearts, the Lord will still bless his people. And that's where Haggai finishes this third sermon look at the end of verse 19. From this day on, I will bless you, says the Lord. From this day on, I will bless you. Well, for those who've been with us for the first couple of weeks of this series, you'll know that Haggai is a record of four sermons that Haggai preached to God's people over a 20-week period in 520 B.C., And he's speaking to the remnant of God's people who've returned from captivity in Babylon to Jerusalem to rebuild their city and their temple and their lives. But they had stalled on the rebuilding of the Lord's house. They'd neglected God's glory and they'd prioritized other things instead. And so Haggai's message in his first sermon was a pretty simple one. Now is the time to build the Lord's house house. Now is the time to realign our priorities and commit to kingdom building work. In short, get building. It's a priority. And they did. God's people provoked by the word of God and stirred up by the spirit of God, they went back to work. Yet just two months later, Haggai speaks again in chapter 2 verse 1 to a people who are once again discouraged and faltering in their work. Hence, last week we heard that resounding note of encouragement to God's people to keep building, to keep building for the Lord is with you, says Haggai. And we thought about God's presence with his people. We thought about God's promises to his people. And we thought about God's provision for his people encouragements that still stand for us today. Hence, however challenging life may be, keep building, says Haggai, for the Lord is with you. And then as we've seen briefly already this morning, we have another reality check and another promise of wonderful grace. Everything you touch turns to mold. That's the reality check for God's people. Yet here's the promise of wonderful grace, yet the Lord will bless you still. And so as we work through Haggai's third sermon this morning, we're going to try and capture all that goes on under three headings. And the first one is this, we are broken builders. Yes, we may be committed to kingdom building work. You may be sat there this morning thinking, I know and love the Lord Jesus. I know what he's done for me. I want to give my life with all its flaws for the sake of the gospel. But we are still broken builders. And we mustn't forget it. Have a look at verse 10 and 11. On the 24th day 
of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priests what the law says. Did you notice the change of audience for this third sermon? Ask the priests what the law says. You see, Haggai now focuses his attention on those who've been set apart to uphold the ceremonial law, to make clear to God's people what is clean and what is unclean, what is acceptable to God and what is not acceptable to God. And Haggai proceeds to ask the priest two simple questions, which may not sound very simple to us today, but if you were a priest who'd swatted up on ceremonial law, then these would be pretty easy answers to these questions. And the first one he asks, look in verse 12. If someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garments, and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, olive oil, or other food, does it become consecrated? You see, in Haggai's day, there was a distinction between what is holy and profane, clean and unclean, what can be used in God's service and what cannot be used in God's service. And that word consecrated that you see there twice in verse 12 fits into that left-hand column. It talks about being holy and clean and set apart for the Lord's service. And then the word defiled that you'll see three times in verse 13 fits into that right-hand column, speaking of what is unclean, unacceptable, and cannot be used for God. And so the picture we have then in verse 12 is someone returning for the temple. They've just offered a sacrifice to the Lord. And of course, in those days, they didn't carry rucksacks with them. So as this person returns from the temple, they've offered the sacrifice and they're taking the leftover meat home, but they're carrying it in the fold of their garment that have literally upturned the bottom of their robe to make a little pouch. And that meat that would have been in that pouch was consecrated because it was left over from a sacrifice that had been given to the Lord. And so here's the question. As you're walking home with this consecrated meat in the fold of your garment, if you were to drop something unclean into the fold of your robe, would it make the unclean thing clean? Would the unclean stuff catch the cleanness of the consecrated meat that is in there? Answer, says the priest, no. Cleanliness is not catching. Question 2, verse 13. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied, it becomes defiled. Have a look at these couple of verses from the book of Numbers. Whoever touches a human corpse will be unclean for seven days. Anything that an unclean person touches becomes unclean. And anyone who touches it becomes unclean till evening. What's the point? Uncleanness is catching. Cleanness isn't catching. Uncleanness is catching. And it's a principle we know all too well today, isn't it? If I take a piece of rotten fruit and put it in a fruit bowl of healthy fruit, will I expect the health of the good fruit to catch and the rotten fruit become healthy? Of course not. What happens in time? The healthy fruit becomes rotten. 
Same principle, if I send Mia with a bad cold into school and she's full of a class of healthy children, will I expect Mia to come back healthy that afternoon? Answer, no. What do I expect to happen? I expect unhealth, uncleanness, if you like, to be transmitted. I expect those who are well to become ill. You see, it's actually quite simple maths. Clean plus unclean, say the priest, equals what? equals unclean. Clean plus unclean equals unclean. Clean things do not make unclean things clean. Fine. But you're maybe sat there thinking, Haggai, thank you, but what's the point of all this priestly maths? Well, the point is there, look in verse 14. Then Haggai said, so it is with this people and this nation In my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. Boom. Talk about dropping a bombshell. The people have understood this whole clean, unclean debate. And Haggai says, so it is with this people. This people are unclean. Therefore, everything they touch and do and say becomes defiled also by their uncleanness. Everything they touch turns to mold. And of course, the human heart is no different today, is it? Jesus makes this clear in Mark chapter 7. These may be familiar words to some of you, but listen again. Jesus went on, what comes out of a person's heart is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slanger, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. By nature, we are all unclean. Therefore, everything we do, the work of our hands, and everything that we offer, the praise of our lips is defiled because of the sin that resides within the heart. So just like temple building in Haggai's day, so it is for kingdom building today. Our kingdom building is also defiled. It's contaminated by our hearts. We are broken builders. And therefore, everything that we touch turns to mold. Now, the phrase that the... uh, theologians would probably use for this is total depravity you see it there on the screen which doesn't mean that everything we do is 100% bad it means that 100% of what we do is contaminated by sin so imagine just for a moment on the back of this service wandering through to grab a cup of tea in the hall through there and you pick up your cup of tea ready to have a nice little sip, you stir in your customary two sugars and you take your first sip and to your horror, nightmare, servers have loaded the sugar bowl with salt. Horrible, right? If you've ever done that, that little taste, it's horrible. What's the principle? It's all contaminated by the salt. It doesn't mean that every single drop is 100% salty. It means that 100% of drops within that tea are contaminated by the salt that is within it. And so it is with the human heart. Every plan that we make, every word that we speak, every work of service, every drop of our lives is defiled in our normal human 
nature. Not one part of our life remains unaffected by sin. And so even as I stand here and preach right now with the wonderful privilege of opening up God's word and holding it out to you, yes, I've got a concern for God's glory. Yes, I've got a concern for your hearts. But you know what? I'm also bothered what people think about me. Pathetic, right? It's pathetic, but it's true. Because every single act, even this wonderful privilege now, is contaminated by sin. And my pride is raging within my heart, thinking, what will people say to me after the service? And it's in us all. So as I stand here, it's in you as well. Because everything that we touch turns to mold, which is why Haggai can say, look, in verse 14, so it is with this people. And this nation in my sight, whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. The Anglicans acknowledge this truth quite regularly in the Book of Common Prayer. And you may may not be familiar with these words, but just have a look at them. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended your holy laws We've left undone those things we ought to have done. And we've done those things we ought not to have done. And here's the line, and there is no health in us. No health in us equals total depravity, equals we are broken builders, equals everything that we touch turns to mold. What's the application? Well, there's many that we could make, but I want to bring a couple to you this morning. The first one is this, guard your hearts. In the knowledge of the state of our hearts, would we guard our hearts because sin is ever so destructive? It led to the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 BC, and it is still leading to the destruction of people's lives today. And more significantly, it is leading to the destruction of the human soul if it remains unforgiven by God. Please don't underestimate the influence of indwelling sin in your heart and the damage that it can do to ourselves and to others and to the life of this church. A misplaced word is all it takes. A broken promise, a moment of uncontrolled behavior. Small things can do big damage. So guard your hearts because we are broken builders. And then secondly, check your hearts and check them with you on a daily basis. Again, back in Haggai's day, we see how sin greatly hindered the building, the rebuilding of the Lord's house. And it's no different in 2017 AD. Sin greatly hinders the building of the Lord's kingdom. It robs God of his glory And it robs us of his blessing. So check your hearts daily. Acknowledge your sin daily. Repent of your sin daily. Flee to the cross of Christ daily. And once again be liberated by the wonderful forgiveness that comes because Jesus Christ died on a cross in your place. And when we do that, then we will become more effective tools in the hands of a loving redeemer as he builds his kingdom for his glory, brick by brick and person by person. Firstly, then, we are broken builders. And secondly, as broken builders, 
we are called to consider carefully. Just as Haggai did in his first sermon, he once again calls the people to give careful thought to their ways, not just to their, to their, to their hearts and the sin and the state of their hearts, but to their situation, to life, to what's going on around them. Have a look at verse 15. Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple i.e., what were things like before you went back to work? Remember those 16 years of neglect when you prioritized everything else but the Lord's house? What was life like then for you? Can you remember? Answer, not great. Verse 16 and 17. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck... All the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. It's an echo of where we were in chapter one. Their physical struggle should have been a wake up call to their spiritual neglect. God's loving discipline in verse 17 should have caused them to repent and to turn back to the Lord and to give themselves to the Lord, but they didn't look. You did not return to me says the Lord in verse 17. Before they began to build, it was a time of real trouble for God's people. But what about during the build? What about when they went back to work? Have a look at verse 18. From this day on, from the 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought i.e., how have things been since you went back to work? Since you reprioritized and recommitted your life to the building of the Lord's house, how have things been? Answer verse 19, as yet no different. Do you see that? They've not changed yet, the situation. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree, have not borne fruit. Even though that they've been now rebuilding for three months, recommitted, reprioritized, restructured their life around God's glory and the building of his kingdom, there's still no obvious fruit or blessing from their labors. What should their response be? To keep building and to keep trusting Now is the time to continue to trust in the Lord. And it's not too dissimilar our day, is it? As we said at the beginning, you're maybe sat there and you've committed yourself and your life to the gospel, to the glory of God and to the building of his kingdom. Yet there are seasons in life when we see very little fruit and blessing sometimes for our labors, just as it was in Haggai's day. And that's tough, right? It's tough when you give and you feel like there's no fruit. Maybe you've been reading the Bible with an unchristian for two years, but you're yet to see anything real happen in their heart. 
Maybe you've poured your life into a ministry in this church and you've given yourself and you've given yourself, yet you look at the fruit of your labours and it appears that there's so little fruit. Maybe as a parent you've been praying earnestly for your family and your children and you've given your life to them to help them grow to know Christ, but you're just seeing so little fruit. What should our response be today? The same as it should have been in Haggai's day. Keep building and keep trusting. It is a time to trust in the Lord as we wait expectantly for his promised blessing. You see, change is coming. You see that at the end of Haggai's third sermon, verse 19. From this day on, I will bless you says the Lord. Change is coming. The Lord will ultimately bless his people and the work of their hands. So keep trusting and keep building for his glory. Firstly, we are broken builders. Secondly, as broken builders, we are called to consider carefully. And lastly, if we do that, we will be blessed builders indeed. Have a look again at those final remarks at the end of verse 19. From this day on, says the Lord, I will bless you. Notice something really important. We don't bless ourselves. We don't earn God's favor. Restoration, reform, renewal, revival are not the result of our own activity, activity, but of the activity and the grace and the sheer unmerited favor and kindness of God. It is God who promises to bless his people despite their sin. That's the wonderful thing. Our hearts, that is a real analysis of the human heart. But the Lord says, do you know what? I will bless you still. Promise. And as we trace that wonderful promise from the book of Haggai all the way through to the New Testament, we see it come our way ultimately through the person and work of the Lord Jesus. That is where God's blessings are opened up to people and to the world. Just have a look at these words on the screen. They're words that Neil made reference to already this morning. Words from Mark chapter 2. Let me read to you again these words, now in light of what we've heard in Haggai's third sermon. A man with leprosy came to Jesus and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately The leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. Who can tell me what's remarkable about that story now in light of Haggai's third sermon? Clean plus unclean equals what? Clean plus unclean equals clean. Clean plus unclean equals unclean. Sorry. When Jesus touched the leper, he should have become unclean. That's what happens normally. When clean things come into contact with unclean things, they become unclean. But what happens here? As Jesus touches an unclean leper, it is the unclean leper that becomes clean. So great, 
So powerful is the transforming work of Christ that when unclean people come into contact with a perfectly pure and powerful saviour, unclean people become clean. It's majestic, isn't it? The leper was totally helpless, verse 40. He could do nothing about his uncleanness. So he falls at at the feet of Jesus and he begs him because only Jesus has the power to sort out his leprosy. And only the Lord Jesus, through his forgiving work on the cross, has the power to make unclean people clean. The power belongs to Jesus alone. So if we want to see lives changed by Christ, if we want to see reformation in our church, if we want to see renewal in our own hearts, if we want to see revival in this land, if we want to see people flocking back to Christ and trusting him, if we want to see God glorified in the here and now and God's kingdom built, then we need to go to the feet of the Lord Jesus. We need to go to the cross daily and plead with the Lord Jesus, that he would do what only he can do, which is to make unclean people clean. Jesus Christ alone builds his church. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. I bring nothing but my sin. You bring nothing but your sin. Yet the Lord will bless you still. Simply to thy cross and the person of the Lord Jesus do we cling. So in summary, we're broken builders. That's the reality. Please don't hide from that reality. We are broken builders. The more we understand that, the more it should drive us to the Lord Jesus that he would help us build for him. And as broken builders, we should consider carefully our ways and our hearts, the state of our hearts, but also the way of life around us. And it should move us to repent daily. Repentance isn't a one-off thing that we do when we trust Jesus. It is a daily work that we repent of our sin, we turn back to Christ, and we collapse our confidence into him. And when we do that, we will be blessed indeed. And we too will be a blessing to others blessed builders that is a promise and it's there in Haggai chapter 1 verse 19 and it works itself all the way through the bible finding a wonderful climax in Christ and in the new creation to come from this day on I will bless you says the Lord